welcome back to Switchcast live once again. Coming to you. We're sorry we were not here live last week. I know a number of you were disappointed, as was I, but uh, health-related concerns prevented that. But uh, we are back. We being the collective we, myself and Ethan Huffnagel, my producer, but I am back. Coming to you for Scam Week. That's right. Forget March Madness. Forget Shark Week. I don't even know when Shark Week happens. I've never watched it, but we're back with Scam Week, and I've got some juicy ones to talk about. Uh, None of them I was really involved in. I don't want to say I was involved in scams, because that makes me sound scummy, of course, but... uh, they were all ones that, uh, well, two out of three were ones that I was closely tied to, that I knew the parties involved, that I followed closely, and two out of three, I was essentially the one that outed the scams, and of course got a lot of flack for it, but that's what happens. That's what happens, making making enemies and, and friends along the way. So thank you for joining us tonight. I am your host, Doug Tabbitt, owner of Switch Cars. Cannonball record holder with proof, and I will be talking, talking at you, talking with you, and uh, maybe pissing some people off tonight, but that's okay. Uh, it's okay to piss off scammers and unscrupulous people. So anyway, I'm I'm here for you. We're here for you to, to try to, to bring some truth to this car industry to help us enjoy the hobby a little bit more. I know people don't like drama, but sometimes you have to endure the drama to prevent bigger, greater drama. We'll call it the preemptive strike of drama. The the, the George Bush uh, military <laughs> uh, strategy here. Um, yes, so if you'd like to join us, you're welcome to call in. Talk about your scam. Talk about the scams we're talking about. The number is 216-294-4124. Or you can comment, trash talk, whatever you like in the comment flow of where you're watching live. And it'll get relayed and we may discuss it on the air. We may not. Depends how good your comments are. So uh, I'm sort of looking forward to this one. Um, conflict is is never fun. This is not this is not good stuff that we're talking about. Uh, I don't, I don't take pleasure in this, even in a sadomasochistic sense, but, um, I think it's for the greater good of the automotive community. Uh, we need to hold people accountable who are taking advantage of others through unscrupulousness. And, um, so we're just gonna, we're gonna sort of dive right into it. Uh, the first thing I want to discuss, though, we're going to look at a little bit of automotive news. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the, well, we're always talking about the car market and how the values are going through the roof and some of the different factors that are affecting that. Some of it's speculation, some of it's people getting into collector cars, seeing them as assets rather than as goods, um, and a lot of it is uh, service by debt. Um, a lot of people are taking longer loans, bigger loans, bigger payments for cars than ever before. And some of it is genuine inflation, but we're going to talk about one of the biggest players in the car industry and how that affects what's going on. That would be Carvana. Uh, Carvana, man, they make things, make things difficult for a lot of small time dealers because they are paying, essentially retail for trade-ins. 
So it makes it really hard to buy cars for what we deem to be a fair value because Carvana just pays basically retail and then charges over retail. And we're always scratching our heads going, hmm, I wonder how the heck they are making money. Well, they aren't. The latest article to come out a couple weeks ago was that Carvana purchased Odessa. Odessa is a nationwide auction network, not nearly the size of Mannheim, but it's it's out there and it's big. Carvana purchased Odessa for 2.2 sorry, 2.2 billion dollars in cash. So you think Carvana had a lot of money, but it wasn't really cash. They took a loan from Chase for over $3 billion. So yeah, they bought Odessa for $2.2 billion in cash, but not cash because it wasn't their cash. It was Chase's cash. And with the remaining billion dollars, they're essentially going to, as far as I could tell from reading the article, they're going to leverage that for more debt in order to refurbish all of these auction centers, which it definitely needs to be done. I don't know if any of you have been to one of the Odessa auctions, but it's... uh, Man, it, it it's like a, I, I imagine it'd be like a bad strip club if I had ever been to a bad strip club. I've never been to a good strip club either, but um, <laughs> I've never been to a strip club, period. But I, I have to imagine that's like where they practice or something like that. The, the, the cars coming through there have as many miles, uh, as many hard miles on them as, as most strippers, I think. So uh, but anyway, they, they bought them for $2.2 billion. They're leveraging that for more debt. So they're leveraging debt in order to get more debt. That's, that's always a real smart idea. But the reason they're doing this is because Carvana, which has been around for 12 years now, has not made any money yet. They are losing money. They're losing money to the tune of about $700 per car. And they're selling like, oh, I think it was 440,000 cars a year is either 44,000 or 440,000. It was a very, very big number. Uh, Every car dealer on the planet, even the bad ones, is going, how the heck do you lose money on that many cars? That, That is one thing car dealers are good at is making money on cars. Even if they can't hold on to it, they know how to friggin' make money on cars. But Carvana has not figured that out yet and their solution to that is to just do it more. That's always a really good solution. If you do something poorly, do more of it. So they are losing money. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, 440,000 cars they're selling, and they're losing money across the board. But what they are posting, which is important to getting more investment, is growth. They're growing and they're growing. So in uh, 2021, they had a 57% year-over-year sales growth, which big whoop, everybody did in the car business in 2021. But that's important because when you're losing money, your money has to continue coming from somewhere, and that somewhere is more investors. And VCs don't really care about profits. They care about growth because if they have growth and explosive growth, then they can just sell on down the line to the next VC for even more money, multiples on their money. So it's this big debt game. Um, Let's see. Yeah, Carvana lost $182 million in the fourth quarter of 2021. That was actually up from $154 million in 2020. So as they grow, they are losing more money. That's usually what happens when you're actually 
when you're uh, losing money on each item. That's more does not fix your problem. Um, what was my point? Oh, the point was the point of buying Edessa is because their growth is tapering. That's right. They are not growing as fast as they would like, so they can't keep getting investors. So they took on a bunch of debt to buy an auction house so that they can continue to post more and more growth. This smells to me a lot like Toys R Us. Toys R Us went bankrupt. I love that store, but they went bankrupt because they were servicing too much debt. They had all these different investments in real estate trying to grow exponentially, and they were paying so much money in interest that they couldn't even meet their actual expense obligations. The debt itself sunk them. Whether or not they were making money, um, they, they couldn't even begin to make enough to service their existing debt. And Carvana is not only losing money, but they have tons and tons of debt and just took on three billion more dollars in debt and they're going to have to continue taking debt if they keep losing money so uh you heard it here first i'm going to call carvana goes belly up so i in all fairness i like the concept of carvana and all these different um web-based dealerships and the online auctions for that matter because the old school car dealership model as it exists needs to go bye-bye. Car dealers are stuck in the 1980s and they need to continue to be stuck in 1980s so that they can uh, essentially screw over their customers, you know, the way that traditional car dealers operate. Not that all car dealers are scum. I am one of them, so I can't say too much, but um, the way they traditionally operate is based off of a lack of transparency and pushy salesmen. So, they want to cling to that business model and the internet and these new Carvana type models is a good thing for the car industry, but not if they're losing money. They've, they've got to figure out just the basics, how to make money on a friggin' car. I mean, when kids in college come to me with no money and say, Hey, how do I make money on a car on cars? How do I get it in the car business? I have zero money. It's like, okay, well go try one, go flip one car or two And if you can't make money on one or two or three, then you probably shouldn't do it on one or two or 300. But if you can make money on one or two, then you can rinse and repeat. While Carvana has rinsed and repeat, and they still haven't figured out how to make money on a single car. So good luck to them. Okay, now to the scams. I smile, but this this is difficult. Um, The first one. We're gonna go right to we're gonna go right to the cannonball scam, Mr. Fred Ashmore. Now, Mr. Fred Ashmore has been the subject of many a podcast, and boy does he love the attention. But this one is uh, is not a good one for him. He's the subject of a podcast because he scammed the entire friggin' cannonball community and Road and Track and GQ and NBC and everybody he used to get his message out and to make himself famous for doing the claimed fastest solo cannonball run record ever, whatever it was, rental car, solo, blah, blah, blah. We're going to back up before we get to the conclusion. I already gave you the conclusion. He faked his friggin' run. Uh, The backstory starts in um, 2017. 
So Fred started getting involved in the, the C2C Express community. That is a modern tribute to the original Cannonball Runs with classic cars. And he was a likable, but certainly, I guess, brash, ostentatious guy. Uh, rubbed a few people the wrong way, but in general was pleasant. He was uh, generous, and um, uh, most people took a liking to him, but he certainly uh, made a name for himself fairly quickly. Now, in 2018, he did his first competitive run in the C2C, where he built a 1963 Ford Galaxy that was basically half Panther chassis. It was a you know, Crown Vic subframe and suspension and front end and uh, engine, and uh, but it, it looked like a Galaxy. And he put this giant, giant 187-gallon fuel tank that he made in his shop right behind his seat and filled it and he claimed he was going to go non-stop which we all thought was a terrible friggin idea because if anything bad happened it'd make us all look bad and we nicknamed named him essentially the rolling bomb well nothing bad did happen which we were relieved about uh and he did make it across the country in i don't know 37 38 hours some normal nominal time that wasn't anything to write home about but fred not being one to do anything that he couldn't write home about specifically to the ellsworth american the newspaper up in maine that he bragged about all his accomplishments to and made sure that they published every single thing he did um he said well i i got a record he claimed that he had the pre-65 record, which nobody cared about and wasn't a thing. It was a big whoop-de-doo. Some people have, like, the fine, I have the 1977 to 78 Monte Carlo record. Like, who cares? Anyway, he had the pre-65 record, but the car was half modern. And then he claimed that he had the non-stop record. And in one of the articles, he claimed that his feet never hit the ground from New York to L.A. Well, he did stop. He stopped for stoplights, and he did stop for a, a police encounter, um, but he, you know, brushed that under the rug. And there's rumors that he stopped for fuel as well on his supposed nonstop run that he's claiming to be so great. Um, and about Fred's runs, I did have a, a well, well, we'll fast. Um, I'm I'm skipping ahead, so. So that was his, his first run. It was a run. It wasn't fast, but he, he wanted to have a record, so he claimed two records for that one, pre-65 and nonstop. Nobody really cared. Next year was 2019. Uh, 2019, he built, he bought this uh, shell of a Fox Body Mustang that he claimed was from a Miami Vice episode, but when he posted that online, a whole bunch of people said, nope, Never been in an episode, don't know what you're talking about. And and Fred uh, showing his character early, and we begin we have begun to see a pattern of this. He was very, very vitriolic and defensive, and uh, the hair went up on the back of his neck, just started accusing people, and instead of just saying, oh, man, I thought it was in Miami Vice, he just, man, he could not be wrong. Nobody could say anything other than, than what he believed to be true. And then he would subsequently delete the posts if too many people called him out so you couldn't go back and say, oh, this is what you claimed and it was found not to be true. As a pattern of his, actually. I went back searching on forums uh, 
And there was quite a bit of him claiming to have bought a certain car or having bought a car claiming the provenance on it or saying it was super rare because of this or that. And actual experts would weigh in on these forums and question his claims. And then when he couldn't gain any traction, he would just delete his original post. But anyway, he he built this on a 99 Cobra chassis, basically merged the two. And the general rule is that the car had to be older than 1980, but there was exceptions granted by the organizer. Now, that was one exception just because it was cool and because, well, the body was a pre-1980-ish, but he claimed that it was a 79 Mustang Cobra. Well, it wasn't any of that. It was a Cobra-ish body, but it was some wide-body thing built on a modern Cobra. And he went out and he won the event with Travis Hilton. And he legitimately won the event. The car was eligible for the event. I'm not going to take that away from him. However, when he arrived with a time of 31 hours and 47 seconds, he immediately claimed the Cannonball event record, which two inside Cannonballers, I guess that matters, right? There's the overall record that, uh, you know, Alex Roy and uh, Dave Marr did and Ed Bullion and Dave Black and myself and Arnie, which is when you go out um, with your own car, you pick the ideal time and you set the fastest time possible from New York to Los Angeles. Some people think that that's not really what the record should be because the original Cannonball Run event was an event. It was a race with multiple cars and that adds a level of difficulty to the whole endeavor. So he wanted to claim the fastest event time. Unfortunately, Arnie Toman had already set a time of 31.45 a couple years earlier. Now, Fred claimed not to know this, and if he had known that he wouldn't have slowed down for the last hour, he claimed he told his co-driver to back off, to ease off, because they already had it in the bag, which is not true because we were chasing them down. There were still other teams that hadn't finished yet. You, you never have anything in the bag until you cross the finish line. However, he said that if he had known about this 31-hour, 45-minute time, that he wouldn't have backed off because whatever he sets out to do, he accomplishes. When he has a goal, nothing is going to stop him. Well, that's, that's certainly true, in, including the truth. The truth will not stop Fred Ashmore from accomplishing his goals. Uh, he accused Ed Bolian of hiding the record, even though there's a Vinwicky story about it. He started harassing Arnie via text message of hiding the record of this grand conspiracy to not publish the record so Ed, Fred couldn't know about it, so that Fred couldn't beat it, even though Arnie had done everything in his power to make it known, to make people care about it. And nobody cared because it wasn't the overall record. But Fred, not to be dissuaded after a bunch of whining and complaining and kicking and screaming and verbal abuse to Arnie over text message, decided that, well, if I don't have the Cannonball event record, I have the Cannonball event route record or the cannonball route event record or something like that because arnie had gone from new york to san francisco and the original cannonball went from new york to la except when it went from connecticut to la and arnie's run was actually 60 miles or 40 miles longer 40 miles longer but no fred had to have a record so he claimed the cannonball route event 
record because we really all care about that. And he, well, the Ellsworth American cared because Fred made them care. But anyway, just, but then let's see the same event, another team, Scott Sayer and Tim Daly and a third guy. I'm sorry. I forget his name. They built this amazing BMW. It broke down. They had to rent a Charger, Dodge Charger, at the last minute. So they weren't technically eligible for the event, but they still ran. Fred finished in 31.47. Arnie had previously finished in 31.45. The rental car guys came in at 31.44. So once they came in, Fred started berating Arnie again and beating him up over text saying, ha, 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 they beat your record, they beat your record. But then when he realized that that meant he might not win the event, he tried to discredit their run. He did so by taking their screenshots and their photos of their clock from the start and the finish and trying to say that they were faked and manipulated and trying to convince us that he knew this because he knew how to adjust the clock on an iPhone for a screenshot and edit the timestamp on the photo. Now, we're all just going, Fred, nobody friggin' cares. They didn't win. They weren't eligible. Why are you doing this? In fact, we had taken the picture of them at the start, and we were in a group chat with them halfway across the country, and we heard them on the scanner get called into the police. So his assertion that they had rented a car, gotten a plane, and then rented an identical car at the finish was absolutely friggin' asinine. But the only reason he did it is because, again, Fred said himself, nothing gets in my way. Nothing will stop me from what I set out to accomplish. They got in his way, so he attacked them. Arnie got in his way, so he attacked him. This is a pattern. Um, This was not the first time he tried this uh, accusation because in 1979, uh, Dave Yarborough and... David Hines? No, Hines and Yarborough. I can't remember Hines' first name. Maybe it's Dave. Anyway, they won the last cannonball. They set a time of, I believe, 32 hours and 51 minutes in a Jaguar XJS. He claimed to have found the other Jaguar XJS. He claimed that that run had been faked, that there was two cars, and that he could tell because the license plates were, bolts were different in a couple of the photos. So, uh, let's see, he claimed Arnie and Ed ran a conspiracy to cover up a run that the Charger team, their run was faked because they edited their screenshots. He claimed that the Jaguar XJS run was faked. And then when he did the time of 3147, he posted about it and sent Richard Rawlings a message bragging that he had beat his time. Who friggin' cares? 18 people have beaten Richard Rawlings' time that, like, he had beaten his fake and invalid record. So he basically called Richard Rawlings evidence. I'm sorry, Richard Rawlings record fake because why? Because Richard Rawlings didn't have any proof. And Fred actually responded to a comment in the discussion saying the only proof he had was a tattoo. So Fred has questioned people's proof said Richard Rawlings record was fake because he didn't have any proof called people out for conspiracy. There's a pattern here. Now, fast forward. 
to 2020. Fred drops a bombshell on the cannonball community, stating that he went from New York to L.A. solo by himself in a rented Mustang with a whole bunch of fuel in it in 25 hours and 55 minutes. Friggin' ridiculous time. I mean, 2539 is better. But, you know, we did it with a team and spotters and a German super sedan and all that. So Fred's record was way cooler because it was a solo run. Fred the madman from Maine. <clears throat> we all believed him. We all really wanted to believe him. It was an underdog story. We knew Fred really, really wanted an actual record because he had tried so hard to, to promote his uh, consolation records or whatever you call them, qualified records. So we, we celebrated it. Um, I will admit some of us were a little bit disappointed just because of Fred's general attitude and demeanor. We didn't necessarily want somebody like that representing the cannonball community, but hey, we're a community of scofflaws. We can't really, uh, what's the term? Beggars can't be choosers. We can't be really picky about <laughs> the, the character of people that are representing our organization. However, there were some things that didn't add up. When Fred first call me, called me, to tell me about the record. He said two things that didn't make sense. One, that he was stopped for 20 minutes at the agricultural checkpoint in California. I call BS on that. I've driven through there a hundred times. I've never been stopped for more than a minute. They just wave you through. And he would have gone through there at two, through there at 2 a.m. in the morning. Two, he said he got into a police chase in California and he lost them on a clover leaf. Quote, unquote, he used those terms, cloverleaf. I've driven that route a lot. There's no cloverleafs between Needles, California and Redondo Beach. There's none. I didn't think much of it. I knew Fred was kind of a big fish guy, that he exaggerated the details, but I thought, well, that doesn't mean the fundamentals of his story aren't true. Well, if I had thought more about the things he had said about people and the lies he had tried to perpetuate uh, about previous runs, I think I would have looked closer. Um, nobody really looked closely because it wasn't the overall record. So they published a story because it was a good, feel-good, old homeboy story, did it on the cheap, you know, blah, blah, blah. The problem is Fred then took that publicity and ran with it. And he conveniently dropped the solo qualifier off of the record. And on different podcasts, he was touted as being the Cannonball Run record holder. And he didn't dare correct anybody. In fact, he promoted it on his own Instagram page. That started to chap my ass just a little bit because, hey, Arnie and I are the Cannonball Run record holders. We worked hard for that. We risked a lot. We put a lot on the line. Not that I need glory, but you know what? If we did it, we deserve to have the medal. I'm not going to let somebody else steal that medal through semantics. So that bothered me, but there wasn't really anything I could say about it without being overly dramatic. So I just kept my eye on him. And uh, eventually, he sunk himself. I knew that he didn't have any proof for his run, but I didn't know how 
how bad it was because I hadn't seen any of his proof, and I assumed that <clears throat> Ed and Rodentrack and everybody else had had uh, validated it. Well, they hadn't, and they actually had tried to get evidence from him, and he came up with a myriad of excuses. I'm too busy filming this TV show. It's on my hard drive. My computer crashed. Well, I got the computer recovered, but I lost the thumb drive that it was on. The excuses kept changing. I confronted him directly and said, hey, man, people are asking me questions that I can't answer. And I I went to him as a friend, and he went on the attack. He said, no, it's all a grand conspiracy. We've heard that before. Because... Ed couldn't make enough money off the video and because GQ didn't alert him to the timing of their article so he could release another video so he could profit off of it. That was his defense. That was why he didn't have evidence. It made no sense to me. Oh, and that people were going to call him into the cops because one person, and this is confirmed, one person gave him a general warning that he shouldn't brag about his exploits before he did them because he didn't know who he could or couldn't trust on an online forum. Right. Well, he took that and twisted it into Doug and Ed are going to call me into the cops. Except it wasn't Doug and Ed until Doug and Ed were the ones that actually called him to the carpet for his proof. It was an arbitrary somebody was going to, and then he went on the attack as his defense. So it started with Ed posting on, uh, I'm sorry, Ed talking on VinWiki about how Fred's proof was insufficient. And he started, Fred went off the handle, and then I called him out on the Facebook page for the C2C group and basically just said, listen, I found these inconsistencies in your photos. They're all screenshots. The metadata is is of when you took the screenshot, not when you took the actual photo. Your evidence is proving you to be fake. Well, that just opened up a massive can of worms and a ton of Facebook drama. His mom came on to defend him, said her son would never tell a lie. He was raised better. She said, I was filled with hate, said I was a jerk. Then Lorena Kaler, some apparent friend of Fred's from Maine, who had zero clue about anything Cannonball, was trying to call everybody out. In fact, Fred had convinced everybody that he was the overall fastest time. I'm sorry, Fred had convinced everybody in Maine that he was the overall fastest time. And this is true because Lorena Kaler, this is, give me a second to find this. Oh, no, before that, Fred said... When people came to his defense, Fred said, I appreciate the support. The issue here isn't my evidence. No, it was. He said, I just baited Doug to get him in the public forum. The pictures above he used are random photos I've sent to different magazines and podcasts for publications over the years. I put it up because I knew they'd be on it like dogs on bacon. So Fred posted proof on his Facebook page in response to our call for real proof and then said, oh, that wasn't my proof. That was a trick. I was trying to set you guys up. Because that's what you do for respected members of the Cannonball community. Then Lorena Kaler said, 
when I said that I had already gone faster than 2555. She said, really? You beat 2555? Where's your proof? And in regards to your unedited 2006 solo video, what? It's Alex Roy. Who was your unbiased third party to prove that your video wasn't edited? Oh, you don't hold yourself to the same standards you'd hold everyone else to. We're just supposed to take your word for it. Hypocritical. Well, I freaking mic dropped her with a crazy list of evidence that we had for our run. I just thought that was funny because Fred had all his cronies coming on to defend him, but all he had to do was just post his proof. That's all he had to do. But nope, he had his mom, his friends come in and try to defend him, and it didn't work. So the long and short of it was that we had a forensic investigation done by some unbiased third parties into his evidence, and what they found was incredibly damning. All of his photos that had metadata were essentially screenshots. The metadata was all junk. It was partial. It was not conclusive. There's two of the same photos that showed an hour difference uh, at the red ball. There was two photos that he had taken of his glimpse that based on his metadata that he put forth would prove that he averaged 175 miles an hour over a 200 mile stretch in a car that topped out at 159 miles an hour. So they essentially disproved his proof. And his one kind of ace in the hole, which was the photo of his dash showing the time and the uh, top speed and average speed uh, from his Ford Mustang, the source data was Adobe Photoshop 3. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, he Photoshopped it. And that was the one thing I didn't want to believe because I wanted to believe Fred and to not believe him, I had to believe that he deliberately faked it and edited the photo. Not just that he exaggerated, but I had to believe that he deliberately, purposefully lied. And that was a hard thing for me to come to grips with. But he did. The evidence is there. He faked it. He lied. He scammed us. He scammed any of you who believed that he did a 25-hour, 55-minute run. He scammed GQ. He scammed NBC. He scammed Road and Track. And it's sad. And he actually, somebody, uh, the Boston Brawlers found a post from 2010 where he took a guy's money for a carburetor and then disappeared. So he scammed other people too. And as much as I got flack for creating drama, you know what? It may have only been a matter of time before he took the trust that was placed on him within the community because of his accomplishments and taken somebody for a whole bunch of money because he's done it before and uh, people like that tend to repeat their ways. So um, you don't have to thank me now, but you can thank me later or don't ever thank me. Let's have a commercial. Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Office, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our Switch Cars dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. 
Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save a whopping 25.39% at checkout. Uh, this question is from Brett Stevens. I want to hey, know Brett. more about that frame, that famed citation on the wall, LOL. Oh, there's two citations, actually. Those were allegedly from the Southern Trail Run, which is New York. I'm sorry, Jacksonville to San Diego. It's the shortest distance between the Atlantic and Pacific. Arnie, myself, and David Simpson set that record uh, Christmas Day 2018 at 24 hours flat and 54 seconds. Um those two tickets were mine. They're for a very high rate of speed. One in Florida, one in Texas. <clears throat> and interesting factoid, the average speed between those two tickets was 102 miles an hour. So I thought about fighting the second ticket based on the impossibility that I was there using the first ticket as my defense. But I figured that probably would backfire. <clears throat> the next question is from Lou Sassel. I got floated. I got floated out of state title. Are you a boat? (laughs) Did I really butcher it that much? (laughs) You said I got floated. I got floated out of state title. They needed two signatures and it only had one owner's signature. What should I do? No, I'm not forging anyone's stuff. Uh, Call the other owner and get a power of attorney. I don't know. I, I would keep the title and then just have them send you a power of attorney to sign off on their behalf. <clears throat> this next question is from Matt R. Speaking of scams, will he come on? Fred? Yes. He's welcome anytime. Fred, open invitation. Come on. <laughs> come on, baby. This is also from Matt R. No? Okay. Somebody grab my backpack out of my office. All right. That's it. Number two, the Mint Green GT3. All right. So I posted on Instagram if you want to see the pictures of the car. This was a a paint-to-sample 2018 GT3 that had a wide-body kit installed, hack job, half installed, and the seats removed and a whole bunch of clothes and trash bags in it looked like somebody had been living in this car uh it made its way to the east coast after being repoed and it ended up at mclaren charlotte being represented as a clean history car no paintwork etc etc i shouldn't well yes it was represented as no paintwork okay the backstory now i'm gonna be careful here There's a lot of people that were called, questioned, that were involved with this car that didn't want to give me any information. There are a lot of people with a lot of things to hide. And this all starts with a guy named Eric. Um, Nobody would give his last name because they wanted to protect his reputation. And I understand that. My, my goal here is not to drag this guy through the mud <clears throat> because he's suffering some, from some real mental health issues. And that's, that kind of suffering is, is terrible. So we're not trying to kick him in while he's down. I'm just trying to paint the picture of the craziness behind this car. 
So this guy, Eric, was a fairly well-known tenured crane operator out the Long Beach docks. And allegedly, it was a mix of prescription drugs that shouldn't have been given him that sent him over the edge. Uh, so he bought a Porsche 911 one time. About two days later, he went and traded it in for this GT3. Now, he was doing burnouts and donuts in front of his apartment constantly. So much so that he blew up the clutch on his GT3. So he took it to the Porsche dealer, and this was a, a, a demo unit, and it was sold CPO. So in less than 100 miles of buying it, he had roasted the clutch. Took it to the Porsche dealer, and they told him that it needed a new clutch. He got all ticked off. Uh, they put a new clutch in. He proceeded to pick it up from the service department, go out front, and do a whole bunch more donuts in their parking lot in front of the dealership. The sales manager confronted him and said, "Dude, you got you got to cut this out. Like you got to get out of here. You're gonna you're you're just gonna roast your clutch again." Well, he didn't take too kindly to that. He got in the sales manager's face, uh, not knowing that the sales manager was a black belt in karate, and said something to the effect of that you have a small penis and can't pleasure your wife, and that's why you're upset. They called the cops on him to remove him from the property, and shortly after, it was towed to a shop called Widebody Kings for this widebody conversion. Now, in this time, the owner went crazy and I guess got arrested. Um, there's a news story out there somewhere about it, but nobody would tell me his last name, so I couldn't find it. And again, that's fine. We're not here to, to make fun of this guy. It's just this is the crazy story behind the car. So they started this conversion, but never finished it because he didn't pay him. Uh Porsche Financial decided to repo the car. This was less than five months after he purchased it. So he probably never made any payments for them to repo it that quickly. They found it at the body shop. It did not have the seats in it. And these are the carbon lightweight bucket seats, probably worth 15,000 bucks. Porsche didn't care. They just said, we want our car. Now, where those seats went, I don't know. Pretty sure they were in the car when it got there and they weren't when it left. So it's reasonable to assume, again, we're assuming here, that the shop took out the seats for for payment. Uh, I don't know if that's legitimate or not, but either way, it got repoed with what looked like the guy's life uh, life collection of clothing and trash in the car. A half-done wide-body conversion, cut fenders, Awful, awful. Sent it through Mannheim Riverside. The car sold for 103 grand. It went to an East Coast dealer. According to my research, it went to Absolute Auto Solutions, a dealer in New Jersey. It's a you know small, small side lot of of you know typical used car dealership. Uh, and and my understanding, it's Bobby Koss, a guy on Instagram. So they fixed it. Uh, the details here are a little bit spotty because we don't know exactly who had it at what time and nobody will answer any questions. Um, but my source, Andrew Hahn, uh, who's helped me out a lot with, to fill in some of these details, 
um, saw the car at his detailer, and he said it was fixed terribly. Uh, there was overspray on all the rubber seals. There was bad paint defects. And, of course, you noticed that they had put in the wrong bucket seats that didn't have uh, the same color stitching. And we saw a couple of those photos in the Mannheim listing when they auctioned it, and it definitely looked like terrible paintwork. You could see where they had like pulled the the tape, and there was just like paint hanging off and overspray on, on the rocker panel. So it was looked like it was done on the cheap. The interesting thing was when this dealer had it, or one of the dealers in New Jersey, they put it up on eBay. And they were advertising it as a Porsche certified pre-owned car. Now, they weren't technically wrong because the car was sold as a CPO to Eric. And it never lost its CPO status. In fact, I checked the other day, it's still certified pre-owned. Which is crazy that Porsche can repo a car with damage like that and missing seats and not know that one hand doesn't talk to the other. So the warranty never gets voided on the car. Not only that, but Porsche specifically says in their CPO paperwork that if a, a, a CPO car transacts through a non-Porsche dealer, they can immediately void the warranty just for that reason. So they're advertising this car as a CPO, but the very fact that they were selling it made it not a CPO. But they still left the Porsche South Bay plate insert and plate frame on the car. So it was like, it was almost... It was just misleading enough to think like, oh, this is a Porsche South Bay CPO car, except it's being sold by some corner lot dealer in New Jersey who fixed the paintwork on the cheap and didn't bother to tell anybody about it. Maybe they told somebody about it. I'm sorry. This is alleged they didn't tell anybody about it, but I'm going off of the eBay listing that I saved. There's no mention of the paintwork or repair. So there's a lot of people along the way on this car that have stuff to hide. The whole car just friggin' stinks. And, and so does basically everybody involved in it. And all somebody had to do was say, hey, this car used to suck. We fixed it and it's a deal now because of the story. But no, they're all playing used car dealer and all their buddies are backing them up. And this is what's really wrong with the car business. The underlying philosophy that it's okay to screw over the next guy because he should have done his homework. So. Caveat emptor indeed. So this is where McLaren Charlotte comes in. McLaren Charlotte <clears throat> bought the car from the Mannheim auction. So the, the car obviously didn't sell on eBay, uh, but they sold it through Mannheim. And the condition report was a 3.7 out of 5, which is really, I mean, that is substandard for a modern car. And... It was disclosed as having paintwork all over the car. So when I saw this car up for sale at McLaren Charlotte, they had it up for, I think, 230 or 240 grand, which was complete full boat retail last year. No mention of the paintwork. And I did a quick search on Binwiki and found the photos of the car from Mannheim Riverside with the wide body on it. And so I posted an Instagram post and essentially called them out for representing this car. Uh, the post went viral, Road and Track did an article about it, and they took the car down within a couple of hours. And 
Then they called me. Ryan from McLaren Charlotte called me. August 2nd, 2021. And starts reading me the riot act. He said, well, what have I ever done to throw you under the bus? Why did you post that? I'm like, hey, man, it's you're representing a car that's crap. Like, it's it's the internet. It's out there. He said, well... You know, it, it violates Mannheim policy to post screenshots of MMR transactions. You wouldn't want to lose your Mannheim membership, would you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, are you threatening that? Um, and then he said, well, we have over 300 cars here and $45 million of inventory. We don't have time to chase down every possible website that might have information on every car we buy. I wasn't aware of the history. I responded, it took me two minutes to check it on VinWiki. He said, well, I don't have that app. So, well, it's all over the Wholesale Car Club Facebook page, which is tens of thousands of members. Well, I'm not a member of that group. I said, well, the CR was 3.7 on Mannheim. Well, that's above average. Average is 3.5. I'm like, yeah, for a friggin' 15-year-old Camry, maybe, not an exotic. Like anything under four on an exotic is super rough. And I said, I've had numerous people who saw the car say that the paintwork is terrible. His response, it has clear bra over the entire car. No, dude, it's a friggin' paintwork. I said, well, the CR said that all panels had substandard repair. His response, we had a new CR done after we bought it and it came back at 4.4. I pulled it off my website and now we're just going to wholesale it using the new condition report. And he said other things like, I'm just calling you man to man before I turn things over to my attorney. Okay, good luck. And then he said, there's an unwritten rule that dealers don't pull this crap on each other. And I said, you know what? I didn't sign up for that agreement. I don't pull that crap on people I respect, but I have no respect for somebody that buys garbage cars and then represents them trying to screw somebody down the road. I would have had no problem with him if he posted that thing at 195 grand and said, hey, the car's been painted, but it's still a CPO. It wasn't a nice car, but it's nice now. Fine. But when you cover it up, hide the history, and then try to make 70 grand on it because you want to find a sucker that's sleeping, you deserve to get called out. So I called him out. I'm calling him out again. <sighs> so... People don't like that I called them out. Some of those people were involved in this. I got messages. What kind of messages did I get? Let's see. Why do you care? It's a clean title. The guy's just trying to make some money. Okay. All your answers are at the bottom of the ocean. Watch your step. Loose lips sink ships. Okay. So veiled threats, including from McLaren Charlotte and other people involved in this car. It seems like the only people who are trying to defend their actions are people that were involved with this car along the way. It's absolute crap. Ah. Now, McLaren Charlotte still has a car. And they recently posted it on Mannheim with a new 4.7 out of 5 condition report stating that the car had no prior paintwork. Granted, that's on the inspector to figure out. So they found an inspector that wouldn't catch the paintwork. Maybe they detailed it really nicely. And they're trying to screw over another dealer now. So they're trying to sell it wholesale, quote unquote wholesale for 225K, still super high retail. But uh, yeah, they're, they're lying about the condition of the car.
Now, those are all facts. That's what I know. That's what I've done in my research. Why does it matter? They've got a bad car. Good dealers sell bad cars. Every now and then you get a bad apple. Okay, well, usually good dealers don't end up with those bad cars. And if they do, they sell them off cheap to get rid of their problem. And usually they disclose those issues as well. That's not what they're doing. That's not what McLaren Charlotte's doing. Now, I'm going to keep try to keep myself out of legal trouble here because I'm not here to slander anyone. But along the way in posting this information, people have come to me with seemingly firsthand knowledge. Now, this is secondhand for me. I will full disclosure. This is rumors, hearsay. This is not fact. These are things that I have heard, things that have been told me, albeit by reliable sources. I've been told that McLaren Charlotte is being investigated by the attorney general of their state for title washing. That's a very, very serious offense. It's a very, very serious allegation. Not something you can easily verify because obviously investigations like that are private until they're public. And when they're public, it's too late. Look at CNC Exotics. Everything was private until it was public. A few people, a few people cried wolf. A few people said, hey, I didn't get paid for my consignment. They paid those guys off. One of the forum posts disappeared. CNC Exotics screwed people over for a year before the DMV stepped in and shut them down. It was too late. Uh, I've been told that they purposely seek out rough cars with clean titles. I've been told that. Um, I do know, I was told and verified this, they rent cars out through their MVP Miami rental fleet in Florida, and I was told that they sell them without disclosure of it being a previous rental through their dealership. Now, if you look at the rental page, the photos are photos from their showroom. So if you go on MVP Miami it's it's the exact same pictures as cars in their inventory. So that claim certainly holds some water. I have been told by a source <clears throat> that they sold off Metrolina Auto Group to investors, then moved all their profitable business to a new corporation, essentially leaving Metrolina to wallow and not pay any return to their investors. This is hearsay. It seems legit, though, as the Metrolina Auto Group page, while it has the same landing page as McLaren Charlotte, fancy, looks like they have tons of McLarens, it has less than 10 lower-end and high-mileage exotics. So it's, it's a plausible claim. However, this info also came from a former employee and a competitor, so take it for what it's worth. I've been told that a Lambo dealer up north bought three cars from McLaren Charlotte in a period of 30 days, and it turned out all three were previous odometer rollbacks. Again, all of this is hearsay. All of this is rumors. But I was told a lot of rumors and a lot of hearsay about CNC Exotics before they screwed people over for millions and millions of dollars. Before they took hundreds of thousands of dollars each from hard-working successful individuals who are trying to buy or sell their dream car. They destroyed a lot of people's dreams. That's CNC Exotics. They did that. There were the same warning signs. Where there's smoke, there is fire. Again, I'm telling you what I know to be true. What I know to be true is McLaren Charlotte bought that mint green GT3 
the condition report, the disclosure on Mannheim said it was painted all over. Previous repairs. It was called out as structural damage in the auto check report. They told me straight up, Ryan told me that he had no knowledge of this. Not true. And now they're trying to represent it as a 4.7 out of 5 with no prior paint work. You can't get rid of the history and you can't say that you don't know. This is what's wrong with the car business. SwitchCast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers in more than 200 countries. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy, flexible, live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy, we are broadcasting this show live with our phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash BoxCast for your free trial. Got any questions, Mark? Are people just letting me ramble on unabridged? Did you say question mark? (laughs) But I'm... Question... Oh, (laughs) yes. Punctuation. This one's from Adam Valentine. Mark Spence has a voice for radio, a face only a mother could love, and a beard only a Viking could grow. I feel like I've heard all that before. He likes to repeat himself. Okay. This one's from Gonzo Prius. Will the musket ball times ever be added to the official, unofficial spreadsheet? Uh, Sure, add your time. I don't know. Have John Ficaro upload them. There's a lot of them. I'm not going to do it, and probably neither is Ed. It needs its own <clears> list. <throat> this one's from Tyler to John. Have you ever been in a, in a 959? Uh, I've never driven one. I think I've sat in one. I don't know. I've seen a couple dozen of them at least. Yeah, I don't know. I've never driven one. That's what counts. Sitting in them only counts if you're 12. The next question is from Robert Hardy. I need a 1970 Chevelle SS. I got a check. Boss, find me one, though. Convertible, four-speed. Yeah, we don't do muscle cars. Next. That's That's it. it. All right. Okay. So, Fred Ashmore. Bam. McLaren Charlotte. Boom. CNC Exotics, too late. Um. So, said earlier, I'll say it again, I got a lot of flack for, for posting this about the green GT3. People said, why are you trying to get involved? The guy's just trying to make some money. Well, great, that's, that's fine until he does it to you, right? Like, you want me to leave well enough alone, probably because you're one of the people perpetuating this type of crap. Nobody wants it to happen to them. Nobody wants to get screwed. And I've been the guy that's gotten screwed by a big-time dealer a friggin' franchise Ferrari dealer that should have been held to a higher standard. And the only reason I and people like me are getting flack that are, that are calling people out before they're proven to be scammers 
is because they haven't proven to be scammers yet. Um, if they had been, then you'd go, well, why didn't you warn me sooner? And looking back at CNC Exotics, there's a lot of people that knew in advance, but nobody wanted to say anything, again, because of that unwritten rule. Well, dealers don't do that to anyone else. Or, well, we don't have proof, so you can't say anything because then it's slander or libel. Well, no, you can say things. You can warn people. You can say what you know, and you can say what you think to be true or have heard. Um, there are two... I'm sorry, not two, but there are big time Ferrari dealers that are running major scams, one with a major, major lawsuit pending against them. And it runs really, really deep. And the stuff I'm bringing up is only the tip of the iceberg. This is only what I know about because I stumbled across a GT3 because I happen to keep track of the GT3s. But there's a lot of it out there and you need to be really, really careful who you deal with in the car business. Not only just who you buy cars from, but don't friggin' invest money with a car dealer. Just don't. Stupid. Ah. <clears throat> Someday you'll all thank me because, you know, there's Scott Tucker, there's Pedro Benavides, there's Elizabeth Holmes, there's all these big scammers that people wish they knew about beforehand. And there's Jeff Badger. Speaking of Jeff Badger, Jeff Badger is not a household scam name like some of the others I mentioned, but he's a local Cleveland scammer that took people for millions of dollars. Yeah, millions of dollars. Now, I knew Jeff. Jeff wandered into my office one time, and he wanted me to open a car dealership at his new motorsports country club. And I was very wary, mostly because he was driving a Jaguar S-Type, and real car guys don't drive Jaguar S-Types. Hate me for that, whatever. I judged him. But I was right, because essentially everything he told me was true. I'm sorry, was false. Everything he told me was false. The people he knew, the things he had done, the fact that he had built houses for cash that I later found out were foreclosed upon because he didn't pay the note and even his name was a lie he was going by j-e-f-f badger and somehow i searched for g-e-o-f-f in the court records and found tons of stuff from the 80s 90s and 2000s judgments against him lawsuits against him civil lawsuits i even found a couple criminal lawsuits one for forgery and one for petty theft now, the forgery case was dismissed, but the petty theft one he was convicted of. Eh, acquittal doesn't mean they were innocent, just means that maybe they didn't have proof. Proof, But again, where there's smoke, there's fire. There was a couple dozen results. Um, so he was no stranger to bilking people out of money. But he decided to start this club motor estates. He was going to take the Cleveland car world by storm and build this massive facility where people could build their car condos. There would be a clubhouse. There would be events. This was going to be the greatest thing to happen to the Cleveland car world. Well, I told him straight up that I was interested, but I wasn't going to give him a bunch of money for a showroom or, or essentially give him any money until I saw the finished product. A lot of people told him that, and he, including Porsche of Beachwood and Porsche of North Olmsted, and he responded by claiming that they were strategic partners and using them on his website and his advertising literature. 
until I told them about it, and then he stopped. He was using renderings and promotional videos from a similar facility in Minnesota. And let's see, he lied on his GoFundMe page about receiving unanimous approval from the Richfield City Council for his building, when in fact, he had been unanimously voted down. He said that he was groundbreaking in Richfield when he hadn't even acquired a property yet. He didn't even bother getting Portia Beachwood's name printed on his fancy banners that he had made up, mostly because his sponsors and partners were changing with the wind. Uh, He printed it out on white paper and taped it onto his banner for a prominent local show, which was behind a Porsche GT3 that Beachwood had lent him for this show. The guy was completely clueless, yet he still duped a veteran investor and businessman who now, unfortunately, is stuck with an uninhabitable piece of property, recently foreclosed upon. So he was going around the car community trying to get people to give him deposits, give him money for car condos to build it out. He was using this affiliate program with car dealers where he would take $5,000 deposits, and if you as a car salesman brought a client in, he would kick back $1,000 of that 5K deposit. I politely refused because I don't believe in counting your chickens before they hatch. Counting your eggs before they hatch? Either one. You shouldn't do either one. So I said, I'm not into that. I said, if you prove yourself, I will refer people to you, not because you give me a kickback, but because I find you to be trustworthy. Well, I never did. And instead of referring people to him, I called people I knew, everybody I knew. I emailed the Ferrari club. I called my friends and said, do not do business with this guy. Unfortunately, I didn't say it loud enough and I didn't say it to enough people. And I think it was, again, one of those things where I was trying to stay quiet because I was trying to stay one step behind him and track him because I couldn't prove he was running a scam. I just had a gut feeling. And all this research I had done proved that everything he had told me was a lie. And if you're going to lie in the past, you're going to lie in the future. So I knew something bad was coming and I knew it wasn't going to work. But to call him out for being a scammer before he had perpetuated a scam, I couldn't really do that. So unfortunately, a lot of people did get taken. He got hundreds of thousands of dollars from multiple parties uh, who gave him deposits for condos. And he actually, um, he got, I believe, a million dollars, give or take, from a local businessman and car collector. Now, um, there's an article on Kennedy Funding's website that they had partnered with him and given him a $3 million bridge loan to buy this property and rehab it. Now, it turns out he did not actually uh, get the final approval on the funding, but the press release stayed up. So he convinced a local businessman, Scott Forrester, good dude and good car guy, uh, to be his angel investor and, and loan him the money to buy the property from the Shriners. Uh, unfortunately, Scott Forrester had to foreclose on the property recently. That is, uh, uh, it just came up in a sheriff sale, I think last month. Um, I had been interested in buying the property until I went there and realized it was completely uninhabitable. Uh, he didn't finish anything. There was raw sewage coming into the building. Somebody had actually had a wedding there and they said they could smell raw sewage and 
you know, his vendors, his food vendors didn't want to show up because he wasn't paying them. There's judgments against him now in court for that. The, the list is long uh, from the last two or three years in court against Club Motor States and against Jeff Badger for, for things he's, he's pulled. There's tax liens. There's a foreclosure. There's judgments from vendors and clients. Um, but uh, one of the funniest things I remember about this whole situation was that so he had initially hired another uh, guy who had just been indicted for running a scam, a financial scam on elderly people. He hired him to be his marketing director. Real, real bold move for a guy who was about to pull a scam to hire a, a known and almost convicted scammer. So once that guy actually got convicted and went to prison, Jeff hired his sister and his sister popped in on me to visit one time. And how do I say this? She looked enough like Jeff and Jeff was a tall, burly looking dude. She looked enough like Jeff that I wasn't entirely sure that it wasn't a Mrs. Doubtfire type of situation. But anyway, I was very quiet, very reserved. I didn't want to say anything because I knew everything, but I wasn't going to play my cards yet because I still wanted to track them. I didn't want them to know that I was on to them. And she kept saying, you, you seem like you have, you have some things you need to get off your mind. You seem like you're, you're pensive. You're, you're hiding some things. I'm like, mm-hmm. And I just let her talk at me and kind of finally pushed her out the door. And we're standing at the door and, you know, Jeff claimed to be a Christian. That was one of the biggest things that bothered me about him because he used that because he knew that I was a Christian and he wanted to gain an affinity with me based on that common ground. I hate it when people do that. In fact, when people claim that they're Christians in business, I usually take them less seriously because I know that they're doing that. Um, so she knew that aspect. And so we're standing outside the door and she goes, Doug, can I pray with you? And I was like, what? No, I don't know you. I don't respect you. And I, I don't know you. No, you can't pray with me. That's the weirdest thing any woman has ever asked me. Goodbye. Thankfully, I never, I never saw her again. Never saw Jeff again. But, uh, yeah, so he used people's deposits for units to build out the rest of the place. He never finished any of the units. One client had to hire their own contractor after paying Jeff to go and finish their units. Uh, a couple clients sued and got a total judgment of over $2 million. So there's three clients that, that filed suit against him uh, in court, of course, because that's where suits are filed. Thanks, Doug. Captain Obvious. Um, let's see. What did they say here? Um, one of the notes, defendants performed certain work on the project, but failed to substantially complete any of the car condominiums promised by the condo contracts. In addition, none of the accoutrements promised by the contracts were constructed by either defendant ultimately the project has been condemned by the city of broadview heights that is how bad it got there was a, a, a no entry notice the city actually condemned uh the building 
after reviewing the evidence and testimony of the witnesses, the panel found that each of the defendants concealed or misrepresented material facts, that each of the defendants were aware of the concealment or misrepresentation of material facts, and that each of the defendants intended to conceal or misrepresent or to mislead each plaintiff with the concealment or misrepresentation of material facts. There you go. That's the definition of a scam. I think he had good intentions, but liars with good intentions become scammers. So they got judgments, let's see, uh, $186,000, $280,000, and $220,000 in actual damages. These are actual money that these people put down for their condos that is gone, vaporized forever. Uh, they did get punitive damages for double that amount each, which totals up to 2 million. But unfortunately those judgments are worth the paper they're printed on, which is Jack squat because he doesn't have money and they're never going to see that money. And it's really a sad situation. And, um, that's all that it is. There's a lot of local car guys that lost a crap ton of money. And I'm glad that I saw through it and it wasn't my money, but I am sad and hurt for the people that, that, that didn't see through his lies. And I don't know, it just pisses me off that a guy would do that to people. Um, so all you haters that are getting after me for, for calling out would be scammers. Screw you, right? That's, uh, I'm, I'm trying to help people not get screwed in the future. So be careful. Be careful, people. All right. I think that's all I can handle. I think that's all you guys can handle. So we're going to move towards wrapping this up. And we're going to move towards what is our ending? Our props and our flops. And before our props and our flops... Oh, our props and our flops are brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. We have titles in hand for our cars, and we don't have investors and loans, so we're not going to scam you. Check out our hand-picked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick of the week from Switch Cars Inventory is a 2005 Mazda Speed Miata. I think these NB Miatas are a boatload of fun in an economical package, and the Mazda Speed has some of the best-looking wheels on this era of sports car. This particular Mazda Speed has just 16,000 original miles and is finished in a rare color, mica black metallic it is now available on their website for 26 grand and before we get to the flop and the prop you want to check for questions do we have any more questions this question's from jazz side Hi, jazz. question is it possible to get a 2014 and up gt3 with lift under 30,000 miles for 130 not right now. Doubtful. Next question's from Henry Rollins. Wait, yes, probably, but it's going to be a McLaren Charlotte type car. <laughs> <laughs> Next question's from Henry Collins. I yeah. messed it up. <clears throat> Just found a Shelby GT500 for way too cheap. It says for sale by son, daughter, of first owner who died. Odds of it being real... 
If it, uh, the son daughter of somebody who died doesn't mean it's real or not real. That could be real if they have the proper state documents, titles in their name, whatever. They're the executor of this state. That all can be verified. If something's too cheap, that's when it usually is a red flag that it's a scam. Um, you want to look for specific terminology. All scammers use the same thing. Um uh, God bless is one of them. Check their grammar. A lot of scammers just don't have proper grammar. They're overly uh, obsequious, and uh, most people are not that pleasant to you in real life. Um, if they want, if they say that they're going to escrow the deal or secure it through PayPal or eBay, that's a red flag. Uh, if they say they'll ship it to you, they just need their shipping address. You get to inspect the car. That's a red flag. Um, just look out for telltale signs like that. If you can actually talk to a person and verify the documentation, I mean, it's always possible that a car that's below market is real, but it's highly doubtful. The next question is from Leighton Riddell. Tell a story from when you, as a teen driver, uh, go watch the worst car to buy the, why a cop car is the worst car i freaking i don't know what the title of it go on bin wiki and watch the freaking cop car story From years ago the worst car to buy your teenager or something like that <clears throat> and in my opinion the best question of the night from kip Diggs: what does it take to verify a cannonball attempt uh <laughs> a lot uh independent witnesses third-party gps tracking something like glimpse um Oh, speaking of glimpse, one more thing about Fred's run. He claimed that his brother witnessed his run, but he never activated his glimpse. Glimpse is like a, a, a location sharing app. So you send people the, the link to your glimpse and they can watch you. They can see where you are, what speed you're going. Fred took screenshots of his own glimpse. Now we have to believe that he essentially took screenshots of his glimpse doing this at 150 miles an hour and then texted it to his brother as a witness instead of just at the start sending his brother the link and letting his brother watch it that to me proves that he didn't do it because that's the most ridiculous thing ever but anyway his glimpse was never active nobody ever even watched his glimpse so um a, a glimpse with multiple parties watching uh start and finish witnesses uh, multiple multiple photos and videos metadata at the, at the bare minimum is uh, considered validation of a run. Um, I, I mean, I guess it would be like, pretend you're trying to get convicted in court of something and have enough evidence so that they could convict you. That would be your standard. Uh, okay, <clears throat> back to this 2005 Mazda Speed Miata. This is actually the subject of both our flop and our prop of the week. So this car... We ended up buying it back from the guy who bought it last year because the car was not making boost. So he took it to his mechanic. We paid for the diagnosis. And after a $500 diagnosis said the turbo was bad. That's a $5,000 turbo on this Miata. So we said, hey, we'll buy the car back for full price and we'll pay for return shipping, which was almost a thousand bucks. So we basically paid 1500 over what we sold it to him for to, to buy it back and make him whole. And he said he had, he had barely driven the car that he just drove it enough to basically 
see that the car wasn't making boost and try to figure out what was going on. So no problem. We'll take it back. Our bad. We'll, we'll send a truck. Well, we got the car back. Turns out he had put more than 2,500 miles on this thing. It's only a 13,000 mile car. I just drove it a few times. I think he tried to do a cannonball or on it or something like that. So yeah, that guy, uh, he got some, a lot of free miles on it. I, I guess he could claim damages because it, it didn't make boost. So whatever. Had to drive a, a normally aspirated Miata for 2,500 miles for free. Oh no. Uh, the prop of the week is the Miata. The saga did not end once it came back. So we didn't trust the original diagnosis. So we had our crack technician take a look at it. After nine hours of testing everything possible, even using another identical Mazda speed for comparison, we couldn't determine why it was not making boost. But we did find out in our research that the turbos just never failed. It was not a failure item on the car. Um, and because they never failed, there was no such thing as a rebuild kit because there was no demand for it. And there was no used or aftermarket or any turbos available anywhere. Even if we wanted to spend five grand, we couldn't buy a turbo because nobody sold them because they never broke. We discovered, thanks to our crack in-house um, <clears throat> detailer and uh, Miata fan, Matt, a shop called Leroy Engineering that wasn't too far from us, and they specialize in Miatas. And they confirmed, yeah, turbos never go bad. We've never had to replace one. Okay, so we sent it to them. So after six and a half more hours of diagnosis on their end, they found out that sometime in the past, someone had replaced the vacuum delay valve with a vacuum check valve. That's right, folks, three shops 20 hours of diagnosis by highly qualified techs amounting to over $2,000 in labor. And they f and the fix was a $25 vacuum delay valve. I kid you not. So props to Leroy Engineering for finally figuring out the elusive issue that nobody else could. We are indebted to you. No, we're not. We paid our bill. We're good. Uh, yes. So the Miata makes boost now. And it is for sale with an indestructible <laughs> turbo on our website. Go check it out and have some economical fun for the summer. Thank you guys for uh, bearing with me in this scam week episode of SwitchCast. We'll be back next week with another guest answering your questions. Thank you for our sponsors, BoxCast, Nux, <laughs> Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, and Stephen Holm Woodworking and our producer and call screener, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream the full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m., and we'll look forward to answering your automotive questions to help you on the drive of your life. Cheers.